Heavenly Father, we do thank you so much for the gift it is to have your word before us. We thank you for the Apostle Peter and we thank you that he was one of your disciples and that you instructed him in so many ways that he could serve you. And we thank you that he did not just take your words and apply them to his own life and those he spoke to, but that he actually wrote your word down for us to read centuries and centuries later. And it still applies to us. We are just as human as Peter and we are just as much in need of instruction as he was. Lord, we pray that you may bless the preaching of your word this morning. May it be honoured in your eyes and may you use me to encourage the saints here and if there is anyone here this morning who is not a believer, may they be brought to a saving knowledge of yourself this morning as a result of the preaching of your word. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, one of the things we don't like doing as humans is thinking too much. We talk about it hurting our brain. It hurts to think. We don't want movies that hurt our brains with too, too much of a complex plot. We want something with more action scenes and visuals and so we don't have to exercise our heads. Uh, movies are meant to be entertaining, not challenging like mathematics. They're meant to not tax us. And so some people even avoid movies with subtitles in a foreign language. Uh, it hurts too much to read as well as follow what is going on with the visuals. Uh, no, not subtitles for me uh, is what a lot of people say. It hurts too much to see foreign films. And when it comes to reading, we don't want books that tax our minds either. We want books that are entertaining, that are fluffy and the plot follows very nicely and it doesn't uh, use too many big words. Uh, if vocabulary is too large, it hurts too much. We've got to go get a dictionary or we've got to try and remember what it means or look around in the context of the passage to see what that, that word means. No, we want books that don't tax our brains. And this attitude of not wanting to think or not think very hard comes over into our spiritual lives as well. We want uh, the Bible to, to be clear. And so we uh, translations that have a paraphrase are better, like the message where uh, the, it is explained to you what the Bible is saying right there in the text. So you don't have to think for yourself and say, what is the Bible saying here? You've got Eugene Peterson to explain it to you as you read along. We want shorter services. Don't go too long with the Sunday service. It'll tax my brain too much. I won't be able to concentrate for uh, all that time. Please uh, keep the services shorter. Shorter. And then lighter sermons. We want entertainment. We want lots of jokes in the sermon uh, to keep us uh, carried along without hurting our brains too much. Not too much theology, please, in the sermon. And we want shorter Bible readings that don't tax our brains. We, we want snippets just like we read on the web. We have all these uh, short little pieces of information uh, like Twitter now where you're concentrating down into 140 uh, characters or less. Uh, Many of you are looking blankly at me to know what Twitter is, uh, but Twitter is one of these uh, social networking services on the web that limits how much you can write. And so we want shorter Bible readings, we want shorter prayer times, we don't want to overtax our brains. And even the Roman Catholic Church recognises that people want this. Uh, earlier this year they recommended that homilies, which are uh, sermons, should be brief to cater for people with short attention spans. And then there's a quote from the teachings of the Roman Catholic Church earlier this year. They said, the homily in general, so the sermon in general, should not go over eight minutes, the average amount of time for a listener to concentrate. Sermons should not be longer than eight minutes, he said. In, and so, in Ireland, Father Michael Kenny introduced an experimental 15-minute mass in February because his 9am mass was only attracting three or four people. He pushed back the start time to 7.30am 
promising his congregation they would be out the door by 7.45am. Attendances at the small North Galway Parish Church have since increased to between 30 and 40 people a service. So he only had three or four people before. Now that he's cut it down to 15 minutes, you're in and out, he's got 30 or 40 people there. That's what the Roman Catholic Church is encouraging people to do now. Their priest is to preach eight-minute sermons. So the length of uh, uh, between ad breaks on a television uh, sitcom, uh, that's how long sermons should go for. We don't want to make our heads hurt as humans. We don't want to think properly. But the thing is, God wants you to think. He encourages us, particularly in this passage, passage, to use our heads. And we see it there in 1 Peter 1, verse 13. We're looking at verses 13 through to verse 16 this morning of 1 Peter chapter 1. He says there in verse 13, Therefore prepare your minds for action. Be self-controlled. Set your hope fully on the grace to be given you when Jesus Christ is revealed. God wants you to use your minds. He wants you to think. And so that's what we're going to look at this morning, is thinking properly. And so my first main point this morning is reasons for thinking. God wants us to think, but why should we think? Why should we tack our brains? Why should God want this of us? And the reason is given there in the text in one word. The very first word of verse 13. It says, therefore, prepare your minds for action. The word therefore shows up a lot in the Bible and whenever you see it there, you have to ask, what is it there for? Why is the word therefore there? And usually it's because it's giving a reason for what is coming next. And in this case, what has come previously, we've looked at the last couple of weeks, is talking about the salvation that we have in Jesus Christ and how wonderful it is to be saved by God, the grace that we have through Jesus. And so because of that grace that God has given us, what does God want us to do? He wants us to prepare our minds for action. He wants us to think. And this makes sense. We have wonderful things here in the grace that God has given us. We are called to basically be philosophers and ask the big questions and give the big answers to the big questions of life. Philosophy is the study of those big questions that most people avoid about why are we here, where did we come from, what is right and wrong. And if we are a Christian then obviously we have started to look at those questions and not ignore them. We want to know why we're here, what we're supposed to be doing and what is right and what is wrong. And the wonderful thing is, if we've become a Christian, we know the answers. We know we are here because God made us. We know what the purpose of our life is. It's to glorify God and enjoy him forever. And we know what right and wrong is. God tells us what is right and wrong. We are great philosophers because we are the philosophers who have the answers to the big questions. Secular philosophers go round and round in circles and in the end say we don't really know. They have a stab at it and they say there can't be this and it can't be that but they don't really know what is the answer to the big questions about the meaning of life. But we as Christians do. We can use our brains and answer those big questions. And if we are a Christian, we have to also be prepared for the questions that people will ask us. We can answer those questions that our own minds ask them. What am I meant to be doing with my life? But other people will ask us questions as soon as they find out we're a Christian. It won't take long. They'll say, why are you a Christian? Why would you follow after something that you can't even see? Have you seen God, they were asked. Why would you follow him something you can't see? 
And so we have to be prepared for those kinds of questions. And that requires us to use the heads that God has given us, our minds. We need to be ready for action. Christianity is not idiocy. It's not anti-intellectual. In fact, it's the opposite. It encourages you to use your head, to think properly. When people ask you questions, you're not supposed to just grit your teeth and hide your head in the sand and ignore the questions that are being asked of you to defend the Christian faith. And even those questions may not come from other people, they may come from your own mind as you ask and start to doubt whether Christianity is true. But when that happens, you're meant to think. You're meant to use that head that God has given you. Sleepy Christians who do not use their heads are a disgrace. They're not honouring the, the mind that God has given them by using it and they're not, uh, they're not taking advantage of this great salvation that they have that causes them to ask the big questions and to think properly. We should not be sleepy Christians. We should use our heads. When I was younger, my father used to always encourage us to use our heads, to not sit there and, and think about nothing. And so he used to often say to us, if we were just sitting there daydreaming, he used to have this little phrase that he would say to us. He'd say, sometimes I sit and think, and sometimes I just sit. And the point was, you're not meant to just sit there and do nothing. It's all right to just sit and think, but it's not all right to just sometimes sit and not do anything at all, daydream. You've got a head. You're supposed to use it. And God says the same thing. The question then arises, okay, yes, I'm meant to think. How do I think properly? How do I use my head? And Peter tells us how. And that's my second main point and my third main point will lead into that as well. Think by resisting evil desires. Think by resisting evil desires. This is what he's saying when he says in verse 13, prepare your minds for action. Literally, in the Greek, it is gird up your loins, the loins of your minds. Gird up the loins of your minds. Now, for us, we go, what are, what's going on there? But it was a, a thing that uh, the Jews at the time would have understood very well because the Jews wore long robes that went down to their feet and so if you wanted to do any action and to run particularly or any sort of vigorous exercise. You had to sort of pick up your clothes just like a, a lady today if she wanted to run in a big dress she would sort of hike it up a bit so that she could run without getting entangled, her legs entangled in her clothes. And it's the same today with, um, with me when I want to do the washing up at night if I've got a big jacket on like this I take it off so that I'm not encumbered by it so that I can wash up the dishes uh, as quickly as possible. It's not the most enjoyable task for me uh, but it is one that I I see is important to do in the house Uh, so I take off my jacket so that I'm not entangled with it. And it's the same with us with our minds. We're not supposed to let them get entangled. We're supposed to gird up the loins of our minds, be ready for action. And then we're also told there Prepare your minds, not just by girding them up, you know, girding up uh, the, the loins of your mind, but be self-controlled. Now, self-control there, it may seem like, oh, that doesn't really seem to be talking about the mind, but literally the word can also be translated as sober. And the reason why the NIV probably doesn't have it there as sober is because people would start thinking, oh, he's talking about alcohol here. But he's not necessarily talking about alcohol. He's talking about our minds and how many things can confuse our minds just as alcohol does so that we don't think properly. 
And so we're meant to be sober. We're not meant to let things intoxicate our mind and take over so that we can't think properly. But what are those things that entangle our minds and can intoxicate our minds? Well, I think verse 14 fleshes out what it means to prepare your mind and what it means to be self-controlled. It says there, As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. The reason I think it's still talking about minds there is because of the last word there. When you lived in ignorance. Before, when you weren't thinking properly, when you were foolish, what did you do? Well, you let your mind be conformed to the evil desires you had. And it's so true. Those evil desires we have as a non-Christian entangle our minds so that we don't think properly. We aren't using our heads properly. You think of the adulterer. What is he letting control himself? Is he letting his mind control him? No, lust is controlling him. That evil desire for lust is controlling him. What about the gambler and the thief? What is controlling them? Well, it's money, the greed that they have for money that is controlling them. They're not thinking properly. And the murderer, he's not thinking clearly either. He's letting uh, the passion of anger and envy and jealousy and hate, those are the things that are controlling him. And the proud man, he's not thinking clearly either. He's after that lust for power. And that's what's controlling him. He's not thinking properly. You are not like them as a Christian, Peter says. You are level-headed and you don't let evil desires control you anymore. You used to, but not anymore. Those evil passions that you had, they're not to be controlling your mind anymore. You're not meant to be letting them entangle the loins of your mind. You're meant to be getting rid of them so they don't stop you from the vigorous activity of your mind and you're not meant to be letting them intoxicate your mind like alcohol does. You're meant to be sober and not have those evil passions uh, controlling your thinking. So the first way we think clearly is by getting rid of the evil passions. What is the other way that we think clearly? Well, that's my third main point. We think clearly by embracing holiness. By embracing holiness we are able to think properly. And we see this in verse 15. We have that little connecting word at the beginning of verse 15 that says, but. So just as he's been talking about evil passions controlling your mind, he says, but instead, what should be helping you to think properly? But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. You don't just get rid of the evil passions and not do anything. No, that's the negative side of thinking properly. But there's a positive side where you actively do something else. And that is where you are holy. You don't look at your old self and follow its example. You look at somebody else. Who do you look at as your example of holiness? Well, it's there in the text. We have a clue as to who it is in verse 14, as obedient children. So we're meant to be looking at a father and how he lives. And then it says in verse 15, but just as he who called you is holy. So we're meant to be going after the holiness of the person who called us. And then we're told that it's God's holiness as well in verse 16. For it is written, and then there's this quote from Leviticus, be holy because I am holy. God's holiness. We're meant to follow the Father's holiness, our Father's holiness, who is also the one who called us, who is also the one who is God and gave the laws there in the Old Testament. That is the person that we're meant to be following as our example. What is holiness though? What does it mean to be holy? Well, holiness means to be set apart. 
that something is set apart from everything else. So it's different. And there's different types of holiness that we could have. You can be set apart by your parents for a particular task and so you're holy, you're set apart for that uh, particular uh, task. So what does it mean to follow God's holiness? What does it mean to be like him? Well, it means that we're meant to look to him for how he lives and how he acts and how he behaves and the way that we know how he does that is through his law. He's a just and righteous God. He follows the laws that we have been given, that he is a very moral God. He, in fact, defines what it is to be moral. And so we follow his laws and we live a holy life just as he does. And that should be what we desire to do, is to be like him. I always like asking children, very young children, what they want to do when they grow up. I knew from a very young age of different things that I wanted to be and it swing at different times in my life as I saw examples uh, given to me of, of, of different jobs. And so I wanted to be a vet, I wanted to be a park ranger. I had a very uh, strong fascination with animals when I was growing up, which I don't have so much anymore. I don't think I ever thought that I wanted to be a, a, a pastor, a preacher, but here I am. But it's something that always interests me is to ask children what they want to do. And I recently, uh, at a family function, asked my nephew, what do you want to do when you grow up, Jared? And he's six now. I said, what do you want to do with yourself? And he said, and we were sitting at the dinner table with all the family there, he said, I want to do what he does and pointed to his father. And it really, it really caught me because it just shows how much of a wonderful example his father is to his son. That he loves his father that much that he doesn't really know what his father does but he wants to do what his dad does. And that's what we should be like as well. We as Christians, we love our Father so much because of what he has done for us. Remember that therefore at the beginning, talking about what came before, that's why we should think properly? That therefore indicates all the things that God has done for us as our Father. He is the one who, who called us to this marvellous grace. He is God himself. We should want to do what he does. And then when we start doing what he does, our minds are able to think clearly. We don't have the evil passions going on anymore. We're living holy lives. And so we're able to think properly. And so then what do we do when we can think properly? What do we think about? That's my fourth point this morning. Focus your thinking on grace. We've seen that we should think. We've seen how to think. Now we're told what we should focus on. And it's there in verse 13, it's there in the text, it says, Therefore prepare your minds for action, be self-controlled, and then set your hope fully on the grace to be given you when Jesus Christ is revealed. The evil passions have been removed, you're wholly living now, and so now you're able to think clearly with your head and focus where your life is going. You're able to answer that big question of what is the meaning of my life? What am I supposed to be doing with it? And that is working towards the grace that is given you. Notice that you are to be holy, not to get the grace, but so that you can focus properly on the grace that is given you. So many people get confused here. They think that the way to get the grace, to get heaven, to be with Jesus forever and eternity and have eternal life there, is because you are holy. If I'm a good person and do all the things that God shows me in his law, then I will have the grace. No, it's the other way around. We have the grace, therefore we should be holy. We should live like God does. We should behave like him. 
It's not that we are holy so we get the grace. We're holy so that we can focus on the fact that we have the grace and work towards that wonderful uh, day when we will be taken to be with him for eternity in heaven. We need to focus the thinking that we can do now very clearly on the grace that has been given us. We're not supposed to be double-minded. Our hope should be all upon that grace to be given us. When we have evil passions and evil desires, we have hopes with them that they will give us the happiness that we, do, we desire. When we have the evil passions of lust and money and greed and hate and anger, we're thinking that if we feed those, we will have happiness. But we as Christians can't have divided hopes. It needs to be fully set, our hope, upon the grace. And it says there in the text, set your hope fully on the grace to be given you. You're not divided in your thinking. You don't have hopes for certain things and hopes for other things and then maybe hope for the grace that God is giving you. Everything is working towards that, that grace that is giving you, that you have received. You're thinking about it clearly. So we've seen the reasons to think. We've seen how to think by living holy lives and not as following the evil passions and focusing our thinking upon the grace that he's given us. I just want to speak this morning, if you're not a Christian here this morning, I want to speak to you and say with all love and respect that you are not thinking clearly, that something else is controlling your mind and your life. It's interesting when you talk to a non-Christian and I had a conversation recently with an atheist how there is this disconnect that goes on between their mind and the way that they live. I had a conversation with this man um, and he, he told me, yes, he's an atheist, and he said the reason he's an atheist is because he can't see that Christianity is internally consistent. That he said that there's inconsistencies in Christianity. And I said, well, that's the reason I'm not an atheist, because I see within atheism that there's internal inconsistencies. And I said, for example... You say that there is no God and that we're just animals who have come here through evolution and so we're just chemicals that have bonded together and formed cells which then form more cells and we're here what we are today is just a bunch of cells walking around. And I said, but then as an atheist you don't believe that murder is right when all that murder is, according to your worldview, is hurting other cells which have no personality, which have nothing in them that makes them human as such. They're just other cells. You're just destroying other DNA and other chemicals that are there. There's nothing intrinsically wrong in hurting other chemicals, is there? And he said, well, the thing is, you've got the philosophical side of your mind and then you've got instinct. And the way that you live is pretty much by instinct. So when you uh, attempted to murder someone, you instinctively say, no, that's wrong. And I was just about to say, well, can't you see the inconsistency that's going on there on your mind, that you've got this reasoning in the back of your head, your thinking is saying it is not wrong to murder, it is not wrong to do anything because we're just cells and it doesn't really matter. And then you're acting in a totally different way. I said, I was about to say, and then the conversation got interrupted by uh, God's uh, sovereign plans. Uh, some, the person that he was with came over and said, we have to go now, and so I never got to say it to him. But hopefully in the future I still have a relationship with him that I will be able to pick up the conversation where I left off. But it just showed that 
he is not thinking properly. He's saying there's a philosophical part of your mind where you think about the meaning of life and how we got here and then there's an instinctive part of your life that controls how you live. There's a total disconnect that's going on there. If you're not a Christian, realise that that is what you're living in. You're living in a, a state of mind that says one thing and then in a state of mind that says something else. You're not letting... Uh, you're letting sin and evil desires control your mind. You're not thinking clearly. If that is you, consider what you're doing and consider that maybe God is the answer, that Jesus himself was God and that he gives us the answers to life and that Christianity is the only worldview that is internally consistent that it does make sense, that it does allow people to think clearly. That Jesus existed, he came, he died for sinners. We are all sinners. We recognise that in the way that we live, that instinct that this atheist says. He instinctively realises that there are wrong things in the world and that he does wrong things. Realise that. Realise you are a sinner and in need of a saviour and trust in Jesus today. Think clearly. And if you are a Christian... Does your salvation, the grace that you have, lead you to think clearly, to use the mind that God has given you? Or would you rather just be a lazy Christian, a sleepy Christian, who prefers eight-minute sermons that don't tax your mind too much, or 15-minute services so you're in and out as quickly as possible? Are you a thinking Christian? Are you trying to think clearly by getting rid of the evil desires that you used to have, that used to control your mind? And do you focus on being holy, living as your father, your heavenly father lives, the way he behaves, so that you can think clearly? And when you do think clearly, what is the focus of your thinking? You've tried to get rid of the evil desires, you're trying to live a holy life, what do you focus your thinking on? Is your thinking focused on heaven as you walk, as you run that race, that good race towards the heavenly reward that we have? Is everything you're doing, all that you use your mind for, focusing as you walk towards eternal life? Let us speak with our God now. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you made us. And we thank you that you made us not like animals and plants, but we are very different. We are made in your image and we have minds and we're supposed to use them. Lord, we recognise that without your grace, without your mercy, without the saving effect of Jesus Christ's blood, our sins would continue to entangle our minds and to intoxicate them so we couldn't think properly. But Lord, we thank you that by your mercy we can think clearly, that we can start to remove the evil desires that we had that cloud our mind, that we can start to live holy lives that enable us to think properly. And Lord, we thank you that we can focus our hope upon the grace that is to be given us when Jesus Christ is revealed. May all that we do be focused fully upon that. Lord, may everything we do be just a part of walking, running towards that goal. Lord, we do pray for anyone here this morning who is not a Christian. We pray that they will be realising that they're not thinking clearly, that they are foolish, 
Lord, awaken their minds. Take away the blindness that is there upon their their brains and make them realise that Jesus Christ is the answer, that he is the one to be followed and that he is the one to be imitated. Lord, we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.